This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. It is another case of the world of music losing a great inspiration. I never meant to cause you any sorrow. I never meant to cause you any pain. I didn't want to one time see you laughing, babe. Only want to see you. This year already we have lost Glenn Fry, Maurice White, David Bowie, and now Prince. The music icon found dead at his Minneapolis estate yesterday. We'll wait to hear from the local coroner's office for an official cause of death. But beyond the music, he was a pioneer in the industry for his business acumen. Going from Prince to that unique symbol when he had a battle with his record label and then winning back the name that his mom had originally given him and the right to use it in his music. To talk more about Prince and uh, the impact that he had on the industry, we are joined by Scott Laguerre from McNally Smith College of Music in St. Paul, Minnesota. Also joining us, uh, Larry Miller of New York University and Tom Moon, who are the who is the music critic at NPR. Scott, Larry, Tom, all great to have you on the show today. Thank you again. Great to be with you. Thank you, Dan. Glad to be here. Scott, I, I can't imagine what it's like in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area still today. I mean, less than 24 hours after word kind of coming out. Just kind of give us a feel as to what's going on up there. Well, thank you for having this conversation, everyone. It's certainly uh, impacting us deeply. Uh, crowds are still gathered outside First Avenue as of this morning. I left First Ave three or four hours ago, and there were thousands of people in the street. The club was was just mobbed. And the whole city and the whole state is just reeling as this has clearly taken everyone by surprise. You worked at, at Paisley Park for a couple of years, correct? I did. What was that experience like for you? Well, I was uh, jokingly, I referred to myself as the lowest guy in the totem pole, and I practically was. But it was astounding to watch and observe very much, and this was the, the early 2000s, how he was away from a major record deal and very much running his career on his own, releasing records to the Internet. And that model, now that, that we pause and reflect, really in many ways mirrors what independents and even major artists are now looking at today. I, I, quickly, I ask you, because McNally Smith started uh, back in the mid-'80s, if I read it correctly. Um, I, I wonder how much of an influence having McNally Smith getting started was linked to having Prince and all of the great artists up in the Minneapolis area in the late seventies and early eighties. It absolutely had an impact in the same way that if, if there is a local star, if there's anyone, whether it's politics, whether it's sports, whether it's art and culture, if there's someone that takes that mantle at an outsized level, it's inspiring to everyone. And if you picked up a guitar any time in the 80s to 90s, and we can see this looking at uh, all the tributes that are pouring in from all over the world, uh, Prince had an outsized impact on everyone. And I'm sure uh, 30 years ago when this college started, 
young people wanted to play guitar. Young people wanted to play an instrument because that was an era of Purple Rain. That was an era of a young man from Minnesota, of all places, dominating the charts. Larry, uh, Scott uh, touched on it briefly, but but from your perspective, in terms of the industry and, and, and his business ability, uh, he was a very important figure in this industry. He was uh, so prescient in almost everything that he did and touched in terms of his interaction with his longtime record label, uh, Warner Brothers Records, and Warner Music Group, and even in terms of the way that he uh, embraced uh, technology, computer networks, and the Internet very early on. Larry, uh, or I'm sorry, Tom, when, when you think about how transformative that, that he has helped the, the industry to be, what's kind of the one or two things that really step out in your mind? Well, first, he's an artistic role model. Um, a lot of people who make great records and sell lots of records and have a commanding position uh, in terms of the charts are not artistic role models. And he's one of the very few people who had kind of an impeccable authority within the community of musicians and artists because he could not only write the songs, he could play all the instruments himself, he produced the music himself, he, inv- he cultivated not just his own career, but a career- careers for many people around him. So he was kind of an incubator before that was even, uh, you know, a, a term of business. Uh- and you mentioned, it kind of leads me into another thought, is the fact that he was so transformative in terms of uh, of the songs that he wrote for other musicians. I mean, the the list is, is is pretty important. A lot of them were played yesterday. Manic Monday by The Bangles, yeah. Stand Back by Stevie Nicks, Love Nothing Song. to you by Sinead O'Connor, yeah. which you yep. know, he recorded, and you hear his version, and you yep. realize what inspired her to, to pick yep. it up in the first place. But, you, you know, that is a, a mark of a songwriter from almost a, a previous era. That's like almost yep. grill building in the 50s, where someone who crafts a piece of music that is so instantly identifiable as coming from a singular person, but can be interpreted in a million different ways. And, you know, uh, even just the way he programmed drum groups was like that. You know, everybody did it. Scott, anything to add there? We're we're dancing around how prolific and how impactful Prince was. Um, I remember uh, famously he came off the musicology tour and all of us uh, guessed that he would likely take a break, go on vacation. But instead, uh, he came into the studio in a period of just under two months. He completed six records, mixed, mastered uh, everything that the public never saw. Those all went out to the fan club. He was just absolutely always writing all, every yeah. minute of the day. I, w- I wanted to ask Scott about that. The, 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 thing, the, the biggest thing about Paisley, the, the part of his mystique, is this vault where he's, he's banked a ton of music. I mean, he yeah. was incredibly prolific. Um, he was also a very good judge of what his own, like where his high bar was and what didn't meet that bar. Do you think that what we're going to see in the, in the years to come is going to uh, – like is going to stand up to that level of of quality that we know of from his work. I mean, you were there. Uh, I've talked to other people on the inside who say some of the stuff that they heard was significantly more experimental and thrilling and very different and mind blowing. So, well, it ran the gamut. And when you're an artist, uh, 
that's that dedicated and also an artist that has a facility at their disposal, the moment inspiration hits, you can call in a horn section, you can call in a string section, you can call in any collaborators you want to. Um, I can speak to the fact that there are quite literally hundreds of unreleased records, and uh, we're all still in a state of shock here, wondering what's going to happen. But you sincerely hope uh, for his legacy and for music in general, that, that there was a plan in place, and someday we'll see those records. I remember seeing uh, tapes that said Miles Davis on them, so... What mm. what were those recordings? We're talking with Scott Laguerre of uh, McNally Smith uh, College of Music in St. Paul, Minnesota, Larry Miller of New York University, Tom Moon uh, of NPR. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. We're talking about the, uh, the, the magic of Prince uh, in the music industry that he brought forth over so many years. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Uh, Larry, obviously, with this being a business show, let's focus on the business end of things for a little bit. In terms of his his thought process uh, of the online music world, uh, just go into a little bit about how strong his belief was in, in terms of, uh, of what music meant to the online world, because he had a, a massive battle in terms of getting control of his own music catalog, and then he was also right there with so many other artists in terms of the battle against piracy. He did, and and in fact, back in the uh, in the mid to late nineties, uh, during and even before what we think of today as Internet One, he was doing uh, direct to consumer, crowdsourced uh, album releases uh, a couple of decades before Kickstarter came around. Um, but he, with respect to his relationship in the business and his creative output. I, I think his most famous quote is that if you don't own your masters, your masters own you, which, of course, yeah. uh, underpinned his uh, argument to gain control of his catalog from Warner Brothers. Well, and the amazing thing is that led to, as many people remember, uh, he would do shows with the word slave on the side of his face because he just felt that that he was enslaved to the music industry for so long. He did. Uh, of course, that led to the creation of the uh, the glyph and uh, yeah. the reference uh, uh, the, the artist formerly known as Prince when we would for, refer to him for quite a long time. And uh, after a uh, a long battle, uh, he did end up gaining control of his masters and then licensing them back to Warner, of all places. Yeah. It is interesting, Scott, though, that in doing some of the research, I didn't even realize his involvement with this program, Yes, We Code, uh, in really trying to give back to the community and, and really help the next generation of youth be technolog more technologically savvy and, and get them ready and prepared to either go to college or, or go to work. It's, a, it's an amazing venture that he was part of. Prince was imp incredibly engaged. I think, I, you know, if, if I've talked to, to friends and in the press in the last 24 hours, trying to dispel the notion that uh, he was a recluse or that Paisley Park was, was a compound per se, he was incredibly engaged. He was incredibly engaged uh, having schools regularly come through and tour the facility, uh, talking to groups of all different kinds, and even... Uh, you've probably seen in the press reports, within the last several weeks, he was visiting local record stores, local yep. clubs, and listening to other bands and engaging in debates online. 
very much aware of what was going on and working as hard as anybody else to figure out what is the riddle of the new music business. Tom, that's part of the probably the part of the story that that hasn't been told enough to this point, but and you hate that it happens now in his passing. Uh, about how connected he was with communities. I mean, he went and visited Baltimore after the riots happened there. Yeah, and, you know, as a musician, he had that unique ability to kind of galvanize people uh, who were, you know, as a musician slash philanthropist, he he pointed money in at at things where it needed it. And uh, he understood very much the way his presence at an event worked, um, what he said in the media, you you know, I mean, he was probably the least uh, media coached superstar I've ever encountered. (laughs) And yet he knew exactly how to sort of frame, uh, you know, a question about race, uh, something that was uh, bothering him in a way that would provoke people and get them to think and, you know, get his point across. I mean, the thing, the, the, the thing that Scott said that I think is amazing that we'll, we're going to hear more about in the, the coming months is his philanthropy and his work in uh, outside of the music industry and other realms. Uh, and that's astonishing because usually with guys at this level, uh, they make sure that we all know about their good work. One of the other interesting things that he was involved in, I didn't even realize, is somehow he was involved in the solar industry, <laughs> you know, in terms of bringing solar power to Oakland. I mean, that's, you know, that's a that's a very interesting thought process, Larry, in terms of a businessman. I mean, we talk about the music end of it, but, but to be able to be so multifaceted and look in a variety of different directions really speaks to to what what his mind was was really working on 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 an hourly basis indeed uh you know wow talk about being uh you know mission driven his uh his investments outside of music are uh are many most of them have not been made public but uh, i imagine we will be hearing about them in the current week in the coming weeks and months your comments again are welcome at 844 wharton 844-942-7866 we're talking about prince and the impact on the music industry you're more than welcome to give us a call maybe give us a a thought on maybe a a greatest song that you thought of or a greatest moment you think of 844-942-7866 scott obviously one of the things that's being played a lot in the last you know 18 hours uh, has been his interview with Larry King back in 1999 on CNN. And, and kind of going back to what we've been talking about the last few minutes, just the thoughtfulness and the thought process and, and, and in doing that interview because he wasn't somebody that was outwardly, you know, someone that, that did a lot of those types of interviews. No, he was, he was highly aware and was very knew his presence as a person, as an artist, and, and everyone has said it also as a cultural icon. And I think, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a business growth that comes in the life and the career of, of, of any professional and especially any musician where you get in and a few years later you understand who the power players are. I mean, Sinatra didn't start reprise right off the bat, and, and Ray Charles didn't demand his masters in his first record deal. You yeah. learn some of these things. And, you know, living through that era of the 80s, 90s, and into today, Prince intimately saw those changes. He he learned to understand them. And over time, he really started to wield his power 
for fairer deals, for transparency, yeah. uh, and we will all benefit. The the other there was an interesting story that was told on on one of the media outlets yesterday that I wanted to bring forth and and Scott get your reaction to is the fact that I guess when when he first signed with a record label uh, and went to go do his first album. Uh, he basically told his manager at the time, say, no, I'm going to be the one that's going to produce this. And, and obviously the record industry was obviously very wary of this. And the record executives went and listened to him and and all the different, uh, you know, uh, musical instruments that he was able to incorporate and, and the different pieces that they was able to incorporate. And they basically said, yeah, he's got it. OK, let him go. I, I mean, that, that, how, that doesn't happen, does it? It, it rarely does, but when you have that level of outside talent or outsized talent, I should say, and I, I share this with students all the time. And, and despite how confusing uh, this business can be, and you know, we have lots of opportunity, but maybe no roadmap per se. If you're letting great songs and great performances lead, that's always a fantastic place to start. And Prince would walk into the studio. He'd walk into Studio A, and he'd be working on rhythm tracks. Yep. He'd walk out of Studio A into Studio B and start working on horn tracks. He'd walk out of Studio B and into Studio C and start working on a different <laughs> song. And down to the note, uh, he knew exactly what was being played, even by the trombone player. I guess, Larry, that that something that, that Tom brought up a little while ago now it has to be from a business perspective, has to be one of the, the the things to watch. Is this, you know, if he did have all of this music uh, kind of held up uh, inside of his estate, you know, who ends up being the person that that is able to bring this music forth? Because I'm sure there are millions of people that would love to hear this music, especially uh, in the wake of his passing. I imagine uh, there are many options today. Uh, facing whoever is charged with uh, um, managing the uh, the estate and uh, and and the destiny of the of the work, both released and unreleased. Tom, uh, yeah, I think it's it will be a while. Uh, you know, as I said, I really just hope that we get an accurate picture of the whole thing. In other words, he wrote lots of pop songs, but you mentioned Miles Davis. He collaborated with a lot of jazz musicians, not just Miles. Uh, people in his band had projects that he helped uh, shepherd along, and I feel like there's probably a lot of music that wouldn't come under the uh, the heading of commercial music that might be very important for people to hear Again, uh, uh, speaking to him as a role model for like how to how to be inquisitive and an ex explorer for a long, long career. Scott, absolutely. And uh, you know, I probably haven't been down to the studio in eight or nine years. And at that point, uh, the vault was full, uh, and the vault was huge. And uh, there was a room that we called the pre-vault, which was uh, another locked space adjacent to the vault. And the entire floor was covered with two-inch analog tapes on their spines. Wow. And they were all stacked there simply because there was, there was no more room in the main facility. And he was so incredibly prolific. And it's interesting, while some of the music was uh, experimental, um, I distinctly remember the staff, was, we were literally eavesdropping. We were in the hallway adjacent to the studio listening to him work on a track. It was so good and so funky. And then he came out and said, take it down to the vault. 
and uh, <laughs> I wheeled it down to the vault, and uh, no one's ever heard it since. So I don't know what the master plan was in, in his mind, and, and as everyone has shared already this morning, let's, let's hope that there is uh, as orderly a plan as possible because there are, there are very special things in there, I'm sure. I mean, the, the, the amount of music that, that he has, only the music that has come out, it just is going to resonate with so many people, Tom, for so many years to come. I think there's pretty much, I think everybody has at least one favorite song of Prince. And then you throw on top of it, when we played a little bit of it at the top, his performance at the Super Bowl a few years ago is widely regarded as the best of any of them. Yeah. And you think about all the all the legendary musicians that have played at the Super Bowl now. Yeah, he set a bar, and I, you know, I remember watching Coldplay this year in that space. And let's be fair, it's a very difficult 20 minutes of entertainment to, to pull off. Yeah. But uh, I watched that thing this year, and I was like, boy, does this smell like somebody's uh, business decision in a, in, in, uh, around a conference room table? And, uh, you know, as... Leaden as that was, all you have to do is watch the first two minutes of Prince at the Super Bowl, and you understand what it means to be a performer, to, yeah. to magnetize people to you, to create, to believe in the work, in the song that you're presenting, to the degree where you pull however many thousands of people that are in the vicinity right with you, and then millions more on TV. I mean, it, it's really, that's a feat. It does say something, Larry, though, that, that he was able to, to go through his career and, and obviously have the, the issues that he had with, with record labels, but to be able to, in some respects, or well, in many respects, be able to, to cure those and, and fix them, you know, in, in the last couple of years. You know, I think that uh, in, in today's world and in the music industry in particular, we've, we've come to misuse the term artist in artistry. And it's almost as if anybody with a laptop and an account to self-distribute a piece of music that they, you know, smash together in their bedroom uh, gets to refer to themselves uh, uh, as an artist. Amen to that. You are absolutely right. This is a huge problem. You know, anyway, and, sorry to interrupt. And, and here we're, we're talking about someone who truly reframed for a generation what and a real musical artist uh, is and is capable of doing. And I believe uh, Prince, in every respect, left an indelible mark on the modern American songbook. You know, Scott, it's funny because we, we talk on, on this channel quite a bit in, in terms of the scope of business, uh, you know, about doing something that you love to do. And that bring, bringing a lot of times a personal level of success, but also, you know, in many cases, a monetary one as well. I don't think there's much doubt from from some of the stories that the three of you have told uh, that there is no question that music was his by far, no question, number one love of anything he did. Absolutely. Uh, Prince lived and breathed it. And, you know, we could go into Malcolm Gladwell outliers uh, angle on it. The time he took, the amount of time he played, uh, he was a better drummer, better bass player, better guitar player, and better keyboarder, keyboarder uh, than, than all of them. 
And uh, I was there right after the Musicology tour, and yeah. he famously sold records with concert tickets, which was a brilliant move. How do you sell records in 2005? Well, you sell 25,000 every other night, and you stay on the Billboard charts. And I remember taking the call and, and confirming that Billboard was going to stop allowing that uh, on that sales data to come in. We had a conversation in the hallway, and I told him, and he said, quite simply, why would I care if anyone else knows how many records I sell? Which <laughs> demonstrated to me that, you know, in his mind, that was the furthest thing he cared about. He cared about the art and putting the records out. It wasn't awards. It wasn't accolades. Uh, it was to share the music. Favorite moment or, 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 or association with him, Scott? Uh, there was a moment in the studio where I was literally just line checking some instruments that he wanted to use on a track and, uh, sort of my, my curiosity and my fun of sitting in the studio got away from me and I started playing a lick on the piano. The engineer commented in the headphones, you know, can you fix a microphone? I ducked underneath the grand piano and when I looked up, Prince was standing right there and he said, can I sound check now? And I said, absolutely, sir. We're all ready for you. And, uh, he sat down locked me right in the eye and pick up, picked up the lick that I had been playing and proceeded to play it a hundred times better than I ever will in my life. And he had a wry smile on his face that, that wasn't mean, wasn't malicious, but was inspiring and challenging at the same time, yeah. literally saying, oh, you play, you like music. Well, here's where you can take it. If you really want to go somewhere, here's how far it can go. And that will impact me the rest of my life. Larry, his, his kind of his kind of legacy. What do you for in terms of the business of the industry? What do you think it ends up being? That uh, that Prince was uh, not just an early adopter, but he was uh, he was always an artist, even when he didn't have the leverage to uh, to do so necessarily. He was an artist who uh, who. Uh, followed his heart and uh, and executed on uh, what he thought was the right thing to do for his career and his music, regardless of whoever was on his creative or business team at that time. And he did it decades before anybody else. Tom, how are you going to remember him? Oh, he was fearless. He was uh, defiant, as Larry said, about the, the approach to the industry, and he brought that same kind of spirit to the work itself. I mean, I probably saw him 10 or 15 times live, and literally every time I saw him, there was at least one point in the show, and often this would be, you know, well into a tour, there'd be a point in the show where you would just go, Okay, I've heard this guy a lot. I know this music backwards and forwards, and I am levitating. It's yeah. so good. <laughs> Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure having you all here and, and giving us a little bit of your insight. Uh, Scott, Larry, Tom, thank you again all. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.